to see how trends are are working and and just seeing how you can make a small tweak in your product that will make it a little bit different than how others are doing. This is Real Talk, the customer insights show with Jen Vogel, a top-rated live stream and podcast in the market research and insights industry. We stream live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube, and you can listen on all major podcast channels. Join Jen and her guests for a weekly discussion around topics that will help you understand your customers better. Real Talk is presented to you by Vox Popme, the leader in video research and ranked number one in qualitative research by GRIT two years running. Here's today's conversation. Hello, insights professionals, marketers, and everyone who wants to understand their customers better. I'm your host, Jen Vogel. At times, we're all wondering, why aren't consumers buying this product? As far as we know, it's a good product. We've done a lot of research. People are excited about it, but they're not buying it. To discuss that topic and hear some tips on understanding consumer behavior, I'm joined by Charette Mansour, author of Why No One is Buying Your Product, and Senior Manager of Customer Experience and Business Design at EY. Welcome to the show, Charette. Thanks, Jen. So happy happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, really thrilled to have you on the show. I, I hear you're a fan. Yes, actually, I, I've listened to, I don't know, like I think maybe 10, 20 between this number episodes, and I really love it. Well, we're Usually, really, I don't, yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, thrilled to have you on today. Um, so then you, you know that we often ask our, our, all of our guests the same question, and I want to pose it to you um, to, just to get us started. What does the word agile mean to you? Well, um, that word, when I, when I first heard this one, I said, it really made me uh, smile because it really means different things to different people. And in, in general, in the business context, um, a lot of people want to do something faster, so they say, I want to do I, I want to do agile, regardless of the context of the you know of the situation. But in, in general it's it's coming back from the software development life cycle uh, back in the day or like uh, a bit like before agile comes, people were doing the like software developers will do like the follow the waterfall methodology, mm-hmm. which is uh, you put all the you know requirements up front, you do all the development and at the end you were surprised either people love it or hate it. And by that time sometimes it took like a year or so to get it done. So then Agile, when Agile came, people are like, you know, the, um, the product owners are able to identify um, specific requirements that would be a minimum viable product that can be go to launch to the market, get feedback and improve. So that would be from a, from a, from a product development perspective. But in today's business world, a lot of like a lot of our clients like to use the word Agile to deliver anything, even if it's not a product. So that's why I, um, I thought, you know, that was a funny one. Yeah, I think you're right. A lot of people do sort of use agile interchangeably with faster, but it really is to your point about, you know, kind of being able to iterate throughout the process as opposed to getting feedback at the end. Um, so thanks for that. Um, so why don't you tell us what prompted you to write the book? Uh, why no one is buying your product? Yeah, I thought uh, in, in, when I first started um, 
writing this book, it wasn't really about this topic. It wasn't about product per se, but it was more of the um, design thinking methodology and how we come up with new ideas. And then I thought I wanted to have the, the, the book more into, uh, into something that practical that people can use. And, um, and when I first joined consulting, I originally studied software engineering. So when I started uh, consulting, my role in consulting in customer experience and uh, business design, basically when, when I started every new project, it was very hard for me because I didn't know where to start. I had to talk to a lot of people. I had to do a lot of research and then we start to do like, you know, everything from start and see how things work. And after doing so many projects, I realized that the knowledge is there. Like the knowledge, the pieces of knowledge is there, it's everywhere, but it's not put together in one place. And, and so I thought I'll put that together in one book. So I would use all the methodologies, all the approaches, like the best ones that I've seen, that the ones that work with our clients, the one that we use to you know, help customers like have a better experience and have better products, put it in one book and, and then tell people why no one is buying their product because usually it's not one thing. Usually it's not because their product is bad. It could be just their messaging is not right. It could be that there's just a small tweak in their experience that like they're not even even know about them. If, so if they know about them, they would be able to like to buy. And if, if, if the experience with their customer service is painful, they're like, okay, I don't want to deal with, with them. So there's so many factors that will get people to buy or not buy the product. And so I wanted to make this all in one place for, for easy access to people. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you 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 mentioned this briefly the the kind of connection between the customer experience and the product itself. I mean, how how big of a factor is the experience versus the actual product? Like where do you I mean, I guess where do you weight the importance of those two areas and why people will buy? So, you wouldn't have an experience if you didn't have a product, right? So, so, but usually when our clients come to us, they come to us because their customers are very, very upset. They're complaining all the time and they want to know why they're upset. And when you look at them and then you see their experience with the one product or one service that they are like delivering, we start to understand their pain points and their challenges. And in order for us to elevate that experience, um, sometimes it's, improving the service or product that they're offering and sometimes it's also like complementing the the main offering or the main service or the main product that they have with other products that make the full experience very cohesive and 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 then they're not complaining anymore or complain less because they will always complain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah super interesting so um in your in your experience then like what what are what's the main thing that's stopping consumers from buying? So I would come back to not just about the buying, it's it's about behavioral change um, in general. So in order to make anyone do anything or to incentivize them to do anything, it's it all comes down to to two things. Uh, the first one is motivation. How motivated are you to to do this task? 
So it either comes from you want to avoid pain or you want to seek pleasure or you want to just, you know, the other one is you want to melt in with other with others from, you know, from a social perspective. Mm-hmm. And and the second part of it is ease, like how easy it is for you to do that motivation, to do that thing you wanted to do. And um, and if you put these together, you will understand why no one is buying. So if they don't have a motivation and it's, you're making it very easy for them, you're like, oh, it's cheap, it's easy access, etc. But they don't have a motivation for that, they wouldn't buy. And if they have a motivation and it's not very easy for them to, to, to get it to, to do that job, then they wouldn't even do it because it's hard. Mm. That makes a lot of sense, actually, that those two things, um, you know, sort of are, are linked together, that motivation and the ease, I guess, how do companies go about understanding that? What if you were kind of talking to someone like, well, we think it's easy and we think people are motivated. Like, how do how should companies like kind of understand where they fall with those two factors? Uh, okay, so, so I would say, like, if we were to divide this, how to understand motivation and ease, uh, in a like in a in a in when a, from a customer perspective, the motivation is, I would say, uh, to follow one of my favorite frameworks. It's called the jobs to be done. Mm. So, so basically, usually when also when we are trying to understand the customer challenges and the pain points. We try to understand the, 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 what they're complaining about. We look at their complaints. We try to, to try to understand what is their challenges exactly when it comes to doing a service, using a product or a service. But they wouldn't have a challenge if they weren't trying to do something. So the complaint came after they tried to do something. So if we follow that methodology or the framework of jobs to be done, it's basically which it's identifying what what does this customer want to do so it could be something very simple as you know like it depends on the product for example a product could be um, uh, a product could be um, a massage uh, a spa uh, a chamomile tea or you know like all of those different products that will serve one job which is i want to relax or watch, you know, watch TV. So if my job is I want to relax, the, the job that I really want to do is I want to relax. You could have so many products and services that can help you get that job. So that's where you first try to understand what is really that trigger that they want to do before they looking at the product or service itself. So that's from the motivation part. And from an ease perspective, as understanding do they actually know how to do that so for example from a from a from a relaxation perspective i want to relax that's the job that i want to do and then it tells you okay so you can go do meditation and then so it's like do i even know how to do that maybe i don't i cannot say still so this is one part and the other one is opportunity you know do i have an opportunity to do that so, for example, if I don't know how to meditate on my own, maybe I go to a med- med- meditation class. But if, if the meditation class is like one hour drive from where I live, I wouldn't go there. Mm. Like, like, no way I would go there because it's not very easy access to me. So it's, it's that thing. It's understanding the job and understanding what kind of, you know, like what kind of offering you can help them to satisfy that job and then understanding what are the challenges that comes with that to make it easier for them. 
Yeah. And I think to your point, like the, the way these two things work together is so important. And as you were describing like, oh, a meditation class an hour away, I wouldn't do that. It's not easy enough for me. But mm-hmm. like, there's like probably a scale of motivation. So if I'm, I want to relax and it's like my number one priority, like nothing else in the world matters besides mm-hmm. learning how to relax. Maybe I am motivated to drive that hour because it's a really important problem for me to solve versus, you know, maybe like, yeah, it would be a nice if I could, if I could relax a little bit, then you wouldn't go through that effort. So it's, you know, I think there's, there's also kind of a scale. Um, And I think that's one thing that, you know, certainly I've been challenged with in my role. And, you know, when my, my career is like, not just asking people when like jobs to be done framework, I'm a huge fan, but not just understanding like, what problem are you trying to solve? But like, what other problems are you also trying to solve? And where does this one fit in the priority list? Right? Because like, you might be trying to solve 10 different problems at any given time. And if that one's not the most important one, then what else, you know, that the ease is going to play a huge role in how you, you know, how you prioritize solving that problem. Yeah, 100%. So that comes also with the urgency. So how urgent, like you mentioned, how urgent, how urgent is that motivation for me? Like, Mm -hmm. am I like at the verge of the burnout or like, do I need to, sometimes even people take like, I've, I've heard people take like this 10 day, not a meditation, it's like a 10 day retreat in which you don't have any access to any phones, to any communication from the external world. And the idea is just to use it together with your own thoughts and just, you know, like to analyze what you're going through, etc. So some people would even go to the, that extreme end to, to cleanse their thinking, to disconnect, uh, etc. So it really depends on where you are from an, this urgency perspective, like you mentioned. Absolutely. Sometimes for me, even just reading about those retreats is enough. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I just need to research it a little bit. I don't need to go on the retreat. I just need to know it's there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I wanted to sign up to one of those, but I like I backed up like last minute. So I was like, uh, okay, I don't know if I can do this for 10 days. <laughs> yeah, I spend a lot of time on the Ashram website, but you know, anyways, we're, we're going down the wrong track. Um, now, Roger Julie mentions in your book that 19 out of 20 new products fail. What's the difference between understanding the marketplace for a new product and like keeping an existing product successful or investing time in improving the experience with an existing product? So um, in, in simple terms for this one, I would simply, I like to use metaphors. So for, for having a new product in the market, you want to test it. So it's more something, it's more like you're in the dating pool and you're trying to like to find the date and get them interested and keep on the conversation and see if it works. That would be like the new product. But then existing product is, is if as you're already married and you want to keep, you know, the relationship um, happy and people like the couples are, you know, healthy and communicating, etc. And the key thing between the two of them is being able to listen to customers. I mean, in that perspective, listen to each other as like couples and give them what they need. 
So from if you if you're dating like someone from like new, you're like oh, all should be like I mean always in the listening part to see oh if this is a match, uh, would that work? Would that not work? Is this really going to work? Maybe I should change something or no, this is not for me. And when when you are in the relationship, people are constantly changing. People are evolving. You know, people are not the same so you have to have that constant conversation to make sure like your 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 product is is being updated and fitting the needs of customers as they also evolve that's such an interesting way to think about it actually like you know you kind of need to be following the same process of constantly evaluating whether people are motivated to buy your product or your service and is it easy and like just what you described mm -hmm. but regardless of how long the product's been around um because to your point people are changing especially i mean i mean i say especially now maybe that's not true maybe we've always been changing as you know humans as frequently as we are today but it does seem like you know, our motivations change, our, our priorities change, our influence changes, you know, certainly with mm -hmm. social media and things like that. Like, you know, uh, I do see a lot of products that exist out in the market that have been around for ages and they they don't change. They don't go away. They they kind of stay where they are. Um, you know, certainly there's some legacy like kind of products that are like you know, have some nostalgia and are, are the market leaders and there's no reason to make any changes, but others that kind of float in the middle. Um, and maybe they need a little bit like of a revamp because the people that bought them 10 years ago or 20 years ago aren't the same people that are buying them now, or if they are, they ha they need something different. Yeah. And, and if you're like, constantly changing with the customer, like not waiting like a long time to change then the, the i mean we are as human we are loyal we like to keep uh, you know to 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 know to to stay in our comfort zone whether that's like the same product because it makes you feel comfortable so if that same product continues to give you what you want and they you feel like oh they're listening to me i have this new problem and then they suddenly like you know like send me and like uh, an, an announcement that we have uh, either updating our product or adding a new product or even partnered with someone who will help me deliver something that I really need. I would like have no reason to move to the competition because we are very comfortable on what we like and we don't want to change. We only change when things really are miserable. Yeah. So. That's so true. What do you say to a brand or, you know, that doesn't want to change, you know, like if, like we want to stay, we want to be loyal to our products, but that product I've been buying for years isn't, isn't doing for me what it used to do anymore. Like, you know, what about the companies that actually need to initiate those changes? Do you ever come across that where there's a fear of like, this product's been the same for so long, we can't change it now. Um, you know, how do you, how do you address that? Actually, it's, I mean, I haven't really heard about someone who's saying like, I don't want to change uh, my mm. product, but I've had clients in, yeah, I mean, that basically they're like the sole provider of their uh, product. Mm -hmm. And, and because they're like, or like the customers don't have access to other providers who provide them the same product. They feel that they have that power that I can do whatever I want because, well, they have to come to me. 
But mm. the problem with that is that we always tell them right now that's the situation, but the market will open up to you. And when the it opens up, people will move away because right now you're not taking care of them. If, if, a, if a product already have competition and alternatives in the market and they're not listening, I mean, I, I doubt they're going to be in business for very long because it's, there would be other people who are listening. So yeah, it's, I wouldn't be there. I wouldn't be happy to be them actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Um, I think I, you know, I hear a lot, like there's definitely a movement, right? Like companies mm-hmm. want to be more customer centric. They want to talk to customers more and, uh, you know, kind of co-create and make sure that they're giving, um, that they're giving their customers what they need. But, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to, hard to implement sometimes. And there's a lot of pressure for, you know, uh, I think it, it's, it's tough when the people internally know the product so well, and they're like, yeah, I, I understand that, you know, customers want this, but we know they're going to love that kind of thing. Yeah. I, they, I, I've, I've come across that. We know better because we, we are the experts. We don't need even to talk to customers. I know, I know them so well. I've, I've come across a lot, like, like, uh, like a lot of clients and actually also colleagues who are like that. And the problem with that, when you are like so set in your head that this is what I know and I'm like the expert, you build a product and then at the end of it, like you, you try to sell it and no one wants it. So, no, like I've, I've come across this. It was, it was actually very, very bad. Uh, like yeah. the, the, the customers were like, why would I even use that? I don't want that. Right. It was a waste right. of time. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that too. I've heard, I've heard, you know, friends talk about this or, or, or customers talk about this in their organizations of like, you know, the team doesn't actually want to build what the customer wants. They want to build what the boss wants or whatever. Right. And, and that's a, you know, that's a recipe for, for that lack of success and really understanding and listening. I've heard you say that a bunch in this conversation, mm-hmm. like just listening to people, what problems yeah. they're trying to solve and making sure you're solving that problem for them. I think that's the, that's some of the, the uh, conversation I hear too, is like, well, don't ask customers what they want, which is not what you're suggesting. We're not asking customers no, what yeah. product they want. We're asking them what problem they're trying to solve. And then that's where the expertise comes in, you know, in, in building a product that solves their problem that in, maybe in a way that they hadn't thought of before. Um, and that's really where, where that internal expertise is important, but really understanding the problems um, and the motivation to solve them is, is key. Yeah, 100%. Like sometimes you, you, you think, okay, this is the problem. I have the solution. This is what's in your head. And you go ahead and you talk to customers and you really listen to them and realize that actually I, I, I got a better idea now because when you mm-hmm. spoke, like when I spoke to them and you understand exactly what they wanted, you, can't, you came up with something completely new and it may or may not be something you want to do. So that's the, that's the challenge when you do that, uh, you know, when you ch- when you do the customer research and understand what they want, and you okay, like you understand what they want delivered, and you have like you have you have the perfect you know solution for them, but you like as like the product owner, you d- you don't want to or like the like the company owner etc. You don't want to offer that product or service, and then you're like, oh, hmm. I I I have like a missed opportunity or. 
maybe that's not for me and that's a bit discouraging for some people because you know yeah yeah but then it was it, it, it helped them save a lot of money and time so it's also a win for sure for sure I mean kind of along those lines then you know as you're thinking about like oh oh, actually, this is not the direction. Maybe there's another product. We didn't, we don't want to offer that product or that wasn't in our roadmap or our plan, or that's not who we are as a business. But, you know, what are your thoughts on the needs for companies to innovate within product development and, and maybe even pivot? pivot? Like, what does that mean? I, I think we saw a lot of this um, certainly through like the early days of COVID where companies were creating, you know, uh, cleaning products or hand sanitizing products that, you know, mm-hmm. alcohol companies are doing this or, or vacuum company, right? Like building products that were never in their roadmap, but there was a need that they saw that they were able to capitalize on really quickly. Um, you know, what's your opinion on that? Maybe in le- less troublesome times, just in, in the normal, normal flow of life. So in the norm, I mean, without the COVID situation, hopefully we wouldn't go through this again, right? So no. in, in from from an innovation perspective, that word is sometimes scary for people when they when they when they you know when they think about the word innovation, they think they have to be the next Steve Jobs or create something completely like you know out of the, you know out of this world. But innovation itself, it doesn't have to be like that. Just like you mentioned, you know, the the example with the sanitizers during the COVID, but it's it's basically being able to continue, continuously listen to what customers want and also checking industry trends, what's happening there in the industry, in their industry and adjacent interest industries. For example, if you are like, um, you know, in, in, in the beauty industry, you could also be interested in the fashion industry to see what's happening there to see how trends are, are working and and just seeing how you can make a small tweak in your product that will make it a little bit different than how others are doing. And that's that's it. It's just to always be on the lookout of what's happening and what customers are saying. Um, I, I, I came across actually... Um, and I thought that was really cool, or I was actually shocked to see that kind of product. So you mentioned in in um, you mentioned in COVID we got the um, the sanitizers, but also we also had more stuff delivered. So we're getting used to food being delivered. We're getting um, used to everything being delivered, like the Amazon stuff. This is like the normal expected stuff, the stuff that you expect to be delivered. But then eventually it became, oh, you can have, I mean, I don't know about where, like, you know, like everywhere else in the world, but here in, in Dubai, I, now they have, like, you can have a mini pedi delivered to your home and then you can have a mini pedi at home. This used to be like only at the salon. And even now I saw that you can have those like tanning, you know, tanning machines come being delivered to your mm-hmm. home. Because now people don't want to like they like to that that comfort of being at home, right? So 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 those those companies they capitalized on that and it became it became also a successful model here, which is something I wouldn't think anyone would have thought about. Yeah, I mean I think you're right. There were definitely a lot of um, a lot of services that emerged. Certainly, like at home delivery. I mean like grocery delivery was always a thing, but it wasn't all that common. 
And then it became like the regular, like, you know, you can't even go to the grocery store anymore because the only people in the grocery store are shoppers, right? Who are (laughs) going to then deliver the groceries. Like you, there's, you're all, I'm always in somebody's way, I think, but, um, but yeah, things like those, those like manicure services, it's not as big here, I don't think, but um, it certainly was available during COVID, but that one didn't really stick around, but grocery delivery or the ability to like have go on, I think Uber Eats is a great example actually of how they create, did some, some kind of small innovation that has been, I think made a huge impact and just allowing, you know, adding that convenience element. So go to the store and buy band-aids and have them delivered instead of, you know, your tacos or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, the same people, right? It's the same structure. It's the same app. Um, it's just that it's a, a slightly different process and what a convenience for me. And guess what? When I need something, when my, when my son was sick and I couldn't leave the house and I needed, you know, children's Tylenol, I was willing to pay a $20 delivery fee for it. Right. Where, you know, it's um, because it's so easy and I was, I was, I had a need. Right. And I think some of those innovations, like you said, they don't have to be the big new thing that nobody's ever thought of before. It's a small tweak um, to the structure or to the product or to the service that, that can make a lot of difference. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned, actually, like this example with the, you know, with the um, delivery and the other example was alcohol, the infrastructure is already there. So yeah. the whole, the, the infrastructure is already there. It's just, you know, like redirecting uh, from, from delivering, you know, like uh, just, you know, um, food to delivering items to even other stuff like, you know, I uh, pick up from this place to, you know, pick up my this uh, letter from this place to and drop it off in another place. It's the infrastructure is there. You have the drivers, you have their, you know, they, they have their uh, scooters, uh, you have the tools that can connect them. All you have to do is just, you know, have mm-hmm. new connections. So that also helps. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, those are great tips. Um, And thank you so much. I mean, this has been a great conversation. I hope everybody's gotten a lot out of what you've shared. It's been, I think the way you've kind of simplified it down, it's, it's, I mean, to me, it just doesn't sound like it's not that complicated, right? To do it right. It's just a focus, right? And, and really listening and, and not just to customers, but to the industry and, and it feels very accessible. So um, I hope everybody go out and get Shervet's book. Um, There's a lot more detail in there that we didn't cover today. But again, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks a lot, uh, Jen, for having me. I I really enjoyed it. And I always love your show as well. Thank you so much. (laughs) So thrilled to have you today. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening in. Uh, We're going to be back next week with another episode. I'll be speaking with Pedro Almeida from MindProber. See you then.